Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We are actually looking at the local church in the book of Acts. Today we're going to look at chapter 16. And we've been prayerfully studying and reading the book of Acts together, learning about really the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. That's what some commentators say. It's really not the acts of the apostles as much as it is the acts, the ongoing ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit through his people, through the church. And this is an amazing story. These 28 chapters that we're looking at, it's our family history. So when we talk about Reformation Sunday, we think about our roots. And really, the book of Acts, if you want to know who you are as a Christian and what it means to belong to a local church, we're taking a long look at that. We're looking at this story of the early church, and we're learning who we are. Who were they? What did they do? What did they stand for? What did they proclaim? What did they suffer for? What were they willing to die for? What did it look like? And so by doing that, prayerfully looking at it, we're asking the Lord to transform us and shape us so that we might be the kind of church he wants us to be. And we are committed to being rooted in the truth of scripture, rooted in the word of God, and at the same time empowered by the Holy Spirit to be like the early church, to do what they did, to share the gospel of the kingdom And as Paul said, it's not just words only, but it's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So we're committed to both of those things. If you remember last week, we looked at chapter 15, and oftentimes we can't cover the whole chapter, but we looked at about the first 20 verses in chapter 15, and it was about the Jerusalem council, the elders and the apostles, and the Jerusalem church gathered together, if you remember, to discuss a really good problem. And that problem was the flood of the Gentiles, the non-Jews that were becoming Christians. It was like everywhere they went, they were running into Gentile people who were responding to the gospel. And so these early Jewish Christians gathered together and they said, what do we do? There's thousands of them. It's like the dam had broken open and they were pouring into the church And they said, for us, we had kept the law. We were good, faithful Jews and kept the covenant. And the men were circumcised as a sign of that covenant. And so do all of these Gentiles need to do the same thing that we've done? And what was their answer in Acts chapter 15? Yay or nay? Nay, that is right. No, it was a big no. They do not need to submit themselves to the yoke of the law of Moses, and the men do not need to be circumcised. And so we saw in chapter 15 that what the Jerusalem leaders, the council, concluded was that 
the Gentiles, just like the Jewish people, were saved by faith, by the grace of God. And we saw how monumental that was. The Gentiles had their hearts cleansed by faith through the grace of God just as the Jewish people did. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit just like those early Jewish Christians did. And so their conclusion was we should not have these Gentile people as they continue to increase in number and come to Christ, come into the kingdom. They do not need to submit themselves to the law. They'll end up fulfilling the law through the spirit of love, as Paul and the other apostles will write about. But just think about this. I heard something that I thought was rather funny. If it had gone the other direction, if the Jerusalem council had decided differently, did you know our worship songs would be very different? Did you know that, Liam? So Liam would be up here singing Amazing law and circumcision that saved a wretch like me. It would be very different, wouldn't it? Or, Claire, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. It would be different. So you just endured my singing. But think about it. All right. We're praising God that the council actually said, no, it is salvation by faith. Wallace liked that, didn't he? All right. He's trying to get me to sing, not only speak in tongues, but singing. So where are we going? Goodness gracious. So we praise the Lord that the Jerusalem council settled on that. Today, let's look at uh, chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. And again, I'll just read it in portions here, and then we'll go back and make some comments. And this is, I actually dreamt about this last night, so I want to comment on it. We, uh, my aim is not to be boring, right? I don't get up on Sunday morning and say, you know what, I, my goal is to be boring. You know? But my goal is not to entertain anybody. And so I think churches are filled with people that want to entertain, whether that's through worship or through their teaching, and that is not my goal. I had a dream last night. In the dream, someone spoke very directly and said, do not tickle ears, but let the word of God cut hearts. And so that is our aim. I, I'm not up here to try to be interesting, or I, I really want to keep the flashlight, the attention on the word of God. Amen? And so I think that's the most interesting thing, and that is what builds and strengthens the local church is a steady, nourishing intake of the Word of God. And so that's what we do on Sundays. We read a passage, we talk about it a little bit, we delve into it, and it's not boring. Now, we might need to wake up a little bit. I'm with you on that on occasion, but the Word of God has inherent power. And so just by the public reading of it, it goes to work in us, and it brings light, and it's like a fire that kindles the heart. So we love the Word of God, don't we? The Spirit of God breathed the Word of God and gave it as a gift to the church. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to see in Acts 16 that this is detailing the mission to Europe. And so 
the Apostle Paul has already taken a first missionary journey. And what we're going to see is they're retracing some of their steps because they did the work of evangelism. They made disciples. They left so that they could mature. They didn't meddle with them. And then they looped back around and checked on them. And so that's what's happening in this chapter. Not only that, but they're going to move up further into the Northwest, and they're going to take the gospel to Europe for the first time. So again, we're seeing all kinds of history. We're sitting here because of that second missionary journey that Paul and Silas and Timothy took. It's wonderful. So Lord, as we read your word today, we pray that ears wouldn't be tickled, but hearts would be set on fire. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you spoke creation into existence and you spoke the word of God and it recreates us. So we ask for the power and the anointing that's in and on and through the word of God to be with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to see three things here. We're going to look at Paul recruiting Timothy. And we're going to see this really cool image that you've heard about before, the Macedonia call, where Paul is seeing a vision in the night and takes that as the Lord's direction, and they end up going into Europe. And then we're going to see this interesting woman named Lydia who believes in Jesus, and she's a successful businesswoman, and we're going to see her plant with Paul and the team a house church in Philippi. So there's some rich stuff here. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. I'll read this. We'll look at Paul recruiting Timothy. Paul went on, and this would be a uh, kind of a pronunciation bowl this morning, so you'd get a, uh, an award for these many words, so bear with me. I'd love to hand it off to someone else and have them pronounce all these words. So you will hear me doing my best to pronounce these. So Paul went on also to Derbe and to Lustra, where, he, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. So we see Paul and Silas, and they stayed in Antioch. We saw that in a previous chapter for some time, and they're revisiting the cities and churches, and I want to put a map up here for those of you that like maps. I know there's a lot of information on there, but you can see on the far right, Syria, Antioch, that's where this journey starts. And so they're going to move westward to the left, kind of arcing up northward, and this will end all the way up at Philippi there in Macedonia, and then the second part of the journey we'll cover later. But I just want you to see these are typically in like 250 block chunks. They are traveling. They're traveling by boat. They're traveling by foot. It is quite a challenging journey, but they are determined to take 
the gospel of the kingdom into these places where it had never been heard. And it's there, you read in first, the first verse there, that they connect with this young man named Timothy, a young disciple. And most likely, Timothy had heard the gospel and become a Christian four or five years later on that first journey. And he had been growing in the Lord. And he had a reputation in, among the believers and in his city. And the text tells us that he had a Jewish mother, which made him Jewish. And his mother's name was Eunice and his grandmother Lois. We know that from 2 Timothy 1.5. And he had a father who was Greek. And the text is suggesting that most likely his father was dead. His father was dead and apparently most likely not a believer. So we see that Paul recognizes something in Timothy. Think about that. He led him to the Lord because Paul will say later, Timothy's like my spiritual son. So most likely he is the one who set him on the course of discipleship and led him to faith in Jesus through the grace of God. And as I read this this week, it, it touched and challenged me. And I want to share that with you, a question that I've been pondering this week. What would happen in your life if you were deeply committed to having spiritual sons and daughters? Just think about that for a moment. And of course, I encourage you to prioritize your own kids, right? If you want to know and make disciples and what that looks like, then look at your own kids. The Lord has entrusted them to you, and so you have disciples to make and diapers to change and mouths to feed, but it's all part of one package there. But I just think this text invites us to think about having spiritual sons and daughters. And the text is inviting that, in, it's inviting us into that. So I want to say, as lots of young adults join our church, and lots of our little ones become bigger ones, and become teenagers, and become leaders and future leaders of the church, what role are you going to play? You going to pray for them? Yes. That's right. Thank you. That's what I want to hear. You get a treat after church. Yes. Pray, fast, spend time with, take to coffee. Ask the Lord, even today, if something tugs on your heart and you say, I actually want to have spiritual son, spiritual daughter. There is lots of opportunity in the coming days. And then that knits us together, doesn't it? We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. We're going to have a whole Young Adult Sunday two weeks from today. And we're going to let you hear from the young adults what God is doing in them. And then you'll have some faces to see. And there's many others. And you can say, Lord, what role do I have in serving them and giving to them what I've been freely given? And that's the kind of church that we are. And that's the kind of church that we want to be based on this whole Paul-Timothy dynamic. Paul gave everything that he had to this young man and raised him up. He wanted Timothy to be a part of their team 
And this gets rather interesting, doesn't it? What does Paul do with Timothy? The text mentions here in verse 3, and if you're like me, you're saying, wait, 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 wait just a second. I thought we decided in chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council that Christians don't have to be circumcised. Anybody else? So is this contradictory here? And at first glance, it might seem like that. Was Paul contradicting what had been decided in the previous chapter? And the answer is no. The issue being addressed here was different than in chapter 15. In chapter 15, it was Gentiles and salvation, right? And the conclusion was no, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised to take the sign of the covenant in order to be saved. They don't have to take on the yoke of the law. It's only through faith in Christ, through the grace of God in Christ. So what we're seeing here is something different. This is out of consideration for the Jewish people that Timothy and Paul and Silas and the others are going to be interacting with. Now, I know that sounds strange in a modern context, but he was coming from a mixed background. His mother was Jewish. Most likely his deceased father was Greek. And so Paul and Timothy, he was Jewish. Timothy was. But this had nothing to do with him being saved. You see it? He had already been walking with Jesus for at least four or five years. He was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, had a good reputation. But Paul thought it would be expedient. He thought that it would remove any questions in the minds of Jews that they would be interacting with and sharing the gospel with. So Paul wanted to address it immediately and say this is a young man who has come up keeping the law. He's now put his faith in the Messiah and so that's not even a point of contention or debate. Do you see it? Had nothing to do with salvation. It was out of consideration for Jews and future Jewish brothers and sisters. Now we know from Galatians 2, this just seals it. Later on, there's a debate over this leader named Titus. And Paul says people wanted Titus, the Gentile, to be circumcised, and I said, absolutely not. He's a Gentile. There's no reason for that. Titus, as a Gentile, was saved by faith, by the grace of God. And so you just have to look a little more deeply in this. There's no conflict at all. We just have to understand. One person said this about Paul, and I love it. And I hope this is true for us. Paul was a flexible reed in non-essentials but an iron pillar in the essentials of the faith. So this is an example of that right here where he's being flexible and like a good missionary, he's becoming all things to all people so that it's not a question and he's bringing the gospel to the Jewish people with this young man. They go from town to town. Look at verse four. And they're delivering to the believers there the decrees, the doctrine, the teaching that was decided upon by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And frankly, that's what we do. We receive from a 2,000-year-old church the apostles' teaching. 
Do you remember Acts 2.42, what it said? The early church was devoted to four things. What were they? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and what was the fourth one? Prayer. And so we see this new church, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is being delivered to them, and they're making it abundantly clear to these Gentile believers, you are saved by faith through the grace of God. They're going from town to town, and by doing this, look at verse 5. By being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teachings of Jesus, the word of God, look what happens to the church. And think about it, friends. These are churches that are pretty new. Four or five years old in the Lord. And what are the verbs here? They're strengthened in the faith. This is the Lord taking territory that belonged to him spiritually. Psalm 2. The nations belong to the Messiah, to the King Jesus. And so they're moving into these places with the word of God And these new believers are strengthened in the faith. They're pretty fresh out of their idolatry and their paganism. And they're increasing in numbers. How often? Daily. Man, could we handle a little bit of that. What would it be like for all saints to increase in numbers daily as we're strengthened in the faith and giving ourselves to the word of God? Lord, do it. A second thing, let's look at verses 6 through 10. And this is a fascinating segment here about the call to Macedonia. I'll read it. We'll make a few comments here. Paul and Silas and Timothy joining the team. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite, Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. I told you there would be lots of words, right? But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia. What do you notice in verse 10 there? When he had seen the vision, we, we'll come back and look at that. We immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. So in the first Five verses, we saw the Holy Spirit connecting Paul and Timothy. In this passage, we're going to see the Holy Spirit directing the team in the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, is this strange to you that the Holy Spirit is forbidding them to share the gospel in Asia Minor? So let's put that map back up there. Thanks to the slides team. Keep us nimble here. So you see where that arc is going up. You see in big letters there, Asia. They're trying to go straight westward and even southward, and the Holy Spirit is not allowing them to do that. Is that peculiar to anyone? I would think that the Holy Spirit is like, go everywhere and do it, but the Lord had other plans. And so the Holy Spirit's not permitting, and then the Spirit of Jesus, 
a synonymous way of saying, and I think the Lord was saying, wait until later. Just wait till you see what I have planned with Ephesus and some of the places that you're aiming for. Paul has a vision in the night, and we don't know. It doesn't explain what that vision was like. Was he awake in the night, and he opened his eyes and had an open vision? Was it a dreamlike vision? We're not sure. But there was a man that stood before him pleading, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So you can see if they're at Troas there and they're being invited in the spirit to go up into Macedonia and take the gospel. It's interesting to see at this moment too, it switches to we language. And so it goes from they and them and Paul and Peter and all these different folks. And that's because who wrote the book of Acts? Who was it, church? Luke. Luke is joining the crew at this point. And so he's going to have some first-person perspective in the narrative and say, we're now embarking on this. And We like to ask questions, why in the world did he wait until then, and how did it happen? And we know that Luke was a physician, so and we know Paul was sick at different times, so could it have been that Luke was joining the group because Paul was still recovering from malaria? We're not sure. But nonetheless, he was with them, so it became a we moment here, and it will be like that through much of the story, the narrative, in the coming chapters. I just want us to stop here for a minute. This passage is about first century leaders being led from one place to another, right? They've been prohibited to speak, and so the Lord is directing them. But do you think that a text like this can speak to us about being directed and guided by the Holy Spirit? What do you think, church? I certainly do. I think that there's something in here for us. It can help us. And so if you are facing a big decision... I would encourage you to look at a text like this and to learn from it. What did they do? They took initiative, right? That's the first thing. They prayerfully were moving toward what seemed reasonable. So if you are in a situation and you're saying, God, help me. I need guidance. I need direction. You learn from this text. Well, you got to get off the couch. You can't just sit there and say, Lord, direct me. Guide me. I need you to do everything for me. You have to take initiative like they did. A second thing is to be aware of doors that close. Anybody face some doors that close? You know what? Those are a gift from God. Do you hear me? A closed door that might slam shut in your face can actually be an answer to prayer. Now, I don't like that as I say it. It's true. But when those doors have slammed closed in my face, I am not the most righteous of people. I start kicking or banging on the door. But like the team here was experiencing, those closed doors were leading them in God's purposes in ways that they couldn't see. Amanda and I were talking about this passage this week. And we were looking back on 10 years ago, probably. We were in Georgia where I was teaching at a college, she was in nursing schools, and we approached many doors. And I actually applied 
for about 20 different teaching positions that would take us to other places. And every single door closed. How's that feel? You have that where areas where you're qualified, you know that naturally that door should open. I should walk through it. I had interview after interview and could have gone back to Chicago, door closed. Could have gone to Atlanta, taught at Emory and been there, door closed. One after another after another. And I'm telling you, after years of that, I did not feel very spirit-filled, just to be honest. I was frustrated and angry, but one day I told Amanda, I said, I saw an image in my mind. And I saw in this image a corridor, a hallway of closed doors. And I said, Lord, what is that? And it was like, look at your life. The last several years, one door after another, after another, after another, closed, 10 on each side, and it was leading me somewhere. And at the time, it was not fun. And Amanda and I end up with all of these closed doors. We're sitting at Chick-fil-A one time there in Macon, Georgia, and we're planning out and plotting out, trying to follow the Lord's direction what do you have for us? And we came down to, it was either going to be Chicago or Oklahoma. And so being very spiritual, we took a piece of paper out and wrote the pros and the cons of going to both of those places. So we were using our reason, our rationale. We were conferring about it. And the Lord ended up making things clear to us. But the point of that is, just like in the text, God uses closed doors. And so why don't we take a moment. I sense that there may be some of you that are facing a big decision. You've got a big moment. You've got something where you need guidance from. And I want you to think of that in light of what we're looking at here. The Lord opens doors. The Lord closes doors. You talk about it. You confer with him. You confer with others. So just take a moment. Seek his guidance. Tell him you want him to direct you and that you trust him. Friends, we believe that the Lord guides us. He directs us. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too big. And thankfully, his will is not a tightrope. You're not called to get up there and balance and figure out what this teeny, tiny little pathway of his will is. He's generous. He's gracious. He guides us. And praise the Lord, we ended up going where we should be. And we're grateful to be here and not in Chicago. Just saying, I love Chicago, but we wouldn't be anywhere else. Let's look at this last section here. Lydia is baptized at Philippi. Look at verse 11. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis. 
and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this house for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. Look at this. This is beautiful. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. In other words, she was a good salesperson. She said, if you think that I'm truly a Christian, that I've given my life to Christ, come and stay with me. This is a beautiful image here. Paul and his team, now including Luke the physician, they sail northwest from Samothrace to Neapolis and eventually to Philippi. And we're going to hear a lot more about Philippi because there's a letter written to the church at Philippi called Philippians. And on the Sabbath day, this is fascinating here. They're gathering. They go to a place by the river. Why the river? Because oftentimes if there was no synagogue in the city, which apparently there wasn't a synagogue, people gathered for prayer by a river so that they could use the river for ritual purity and cleaning. And they encounter, think about it, what did Paul see in his vision, his dream? He saw a man from Macedonia. So in this moment, he's saying, Lord, I trust you. You wouldn't let us go into Asia Minor and Ephesus and these places. That's for later. But we're here by the river, and I'm not seeing a man from Macedonia. I'm seeing a, a number of women praying here, but the Lord had his purposes. And we encounter this woman named Lydia, and it's a beautiful moment there. Look at verse 14. She's a worshiper of God. So she was a Gentile, a pagan, and she had learned about the God of Israel and became a worshiper of God, a God-fearer like Cornelius. And she's primed and ready to hear the gospel. She hears, she believes. At verse 14, the Lord opens her heart. The Lord took initiative and saved her and her household. Most likely this woman was single or a widow, and she was a business person with some means. Think about it. She's asking the whole team to come in and meet in her house, to stay there. And they say, we'll stay there. And so this becomes a church plant through a woman and those women praying by the river, a woman who deals with purple dye and purple linens Successful businesswoman, and the Lord has purposes for Paul and the team to meet her. We end with this. Why don't we stand? I want us to see. Maybe I'll come back to this. But friends, this is the first century. And so it's important to see the role of women that Luke is pointing out here. He's basically saying God led this apostolic team to Europe and used a businesswoman and opened, who opened her heart and opened her home to the gospel to found a church in Europe. 
maybe we'll come back to this, but Luke over and over again, whether it's Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the mother of John Mark, Tabitha, Rhoda, Lydia, Luke is paying careful attention to the critical role, the key role that women play in the church. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of this chapter. We're going to see a demonized girl get set free. There's a servant girl that has a a demon, and she's following Paul and the team around and tormenting them, and she gets set free, and then we're going to see the church gathering in Lydia's home. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the church. Thank you that this mission happened 2,000 years ago. The gospel went into new territory, and we sit here because of that. We pray that you would fill us with holy gospel fire and that we would share the gospel and pray for the sick and do the things that we've seen Jesus do and his early followers. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.